Welcome to Think Global, Do Justice, a podcast for globally-minded disciples seeking God's justice, mercy, and shalom throughout the world. We're glad you're here. Welcome back to Think Global, Do Justice. I'm Phil Dark, your host, and with me is my brother, Brandon Stiver. We get to do this great show together, talking with people about really, really important things in our world. And uh, today we have another one of our really kind of fun episodes where we're looking at current events, we're looking at different things going on around the world, different issues that are pertinent to us as we do our work together. But uh, Brandon, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. You just said uh, current events and fun. So we will see uh, if those two things fun? actually align. So we have a fun episode where we're going to talk about current events. So <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Um, yeah. It'll, well, be, it'll be fun because Always it's fun me. when I'm involved, Brandon. Come on, let's be honest. It'll, yeah, it can be fun because it's me <laughs> and it's you and <laughs> one of our trusted colleagues and no stranger to the podcast. We have uh, Dr. That's Greg right. Birch joining. Dr. Birch, welcome. Great to be with you guys again. Yeah, uh, things have changed a little since I was on this last time, including the name. Yeah, that's true. Well, well we were, so our audience is, is well aware. You've been on a couple times uh, helping us learn more about Street Connected Children Youth. You have expertise in Latin America. Uh, you were on our child protection and uh, uh, like Western involvement uh, conversation mm-hmm. we had last year. Uh, and we always said, yeah, Dr. Greg Birch from Multinomia University. And now somehow all worlds are colliding. So you are the chair of the global studies department at Multinoma. I'm an adjunct mm-hmm. professor at Multinoma. Phil is adjunct at William Jessup. And somehow all of these things are conflating. So so, so what's, what's happening these days uh, in your world, uh, Greg? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I've, I've served now at, at Multinoma for the past 11 years, chaired our Global Development and Justice Program, and um, this this year, this past fall, news came to us that we are merging with uh, Jessup University, where Phil uh, has been teaching his course on orphans and vulnerable children. So, um, so they are coming together in a, in a unique way, an unexpected way, right? Um, but Multnomah is, uh, you know, merging or or being acquired, depending on how you want to understand it by Jessup University working together and we're bringing these two universities together to uh, hopefully continue uh, our mission around um, you know Christ-centered education and com- being compelled by the love of, of Christ to to minister to those and to serve others uh, serve our neighbors the best that we can yeah it's I feel like maybe we should at some point, no, this actually gives me an idea. Maybe I'll reach back out to you, Greg. We should do an episode on Christian higher ed, probably. Um, you know, oh, we've boy. had different professors come on here. Um, you know, not only you. Last time we had Dr. Forrest Inslee on the show. We've had mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Scott Meshberger at Taylor University on. And it is an interesting time in higher ed and a lot of universities Um including those that have global programs, which is obviously very right. pertinent to our audience. Uh, it is a, it, it is a little harrowing at times. Yeah. You know, uh, I think my boss has described it as the wild, wild West, so to speak, you know, it's just um, everything's being upended in some ways. Um, we're trying to maintain, um, trying to maintain certain standards of, of academic uh, quality programs yet at the same time, 
there's a pull and, and push effect that that is really impacting how we do things, right? And culture is shifting, um, technology is shifting, and so we could we could probably talk all day about some of those issues, but I'd be up for a further conversation at some point. Well, one of the things that it makes me think about, and I, I would be interested in terms of your thoughts, this is not one of our, we're, so so our audience is aware, we are having a three plus one episode. This is our new monthly news and rec uh, recommendation uh, episode. So we're going to get into those in a second, but this is actually really intriguing to me because for me, I think a lot in terms of how people are learning the the current education system that we have isn't the current isn't isn't the education system we've always had and mm-hmm. now especially in the digital age so much is moving yeah. and you know for yeah. me as somebody who does enjoy teaching I grade uh you know papers and try to help students learn that way like using some of these traditional tools at Vanguard as well as at Multnomah and yeah. At the same time, when I think about this podcast, as I think about Think Orphan, Think Global Do Justice, like as I think about this space, I was also think on an education front because, you know, this is an opportunity to speak to hundreds of people so that they can think differently. Well, how changing how we think is very part and parcel with education. I mean, as you kind of look forward, I mean, what what are some of the kind of higher ed or just education in general, I should say? you know, what's kind of that new frontier as we're not, as we're seeing less people even go to colleges and universities, and this isn't just impacting private Christian universities, it's impacting others. I mean, what's kind of your take on that? Well, you know, uh, when I started at Multnomah 11 years ago, I had previously taught at another university in San Jose, Costa Rica, but um, things have changed quite a bit. Even even in the past uh, 11 years that I've been at Multnomah, we obviously technology, we're using technology much more than we did even just, just 10 years ago. We have online classes. Uh, even the modalities are changing. Um, I have students on campus that are now interacting in classes with folks that are around the world in the online program. So we're able to do things and connect people in new ways. You know, for the first time ever, kind of ever. I've done it a little bit in the past, but I'm actually including podcasts um, in my classes uh, currently, you know, obviously vetted, reputable folks uh, that are important, that have important pieces to bring to our class conversations. But even how we're using podcasts now in our classes, uh, we're teaching a class right now with Dr. Leroy Barber, and it's economic and community development. And and so we're bringing not only the authors of all these books that we're bringing in, including Ecosystems of Jubilee by Adam Gustine and Jose Humphreys, you know, they're coming into class via, via Zoom and other technologies to speak into these issues. So it's no longer just a, um, a synchronous approach. It's synchronous and asynchronous and the technology uh, is coming to bear as well. So I, you know, I'm still learning what this means for, for higher education. So I'm certainly not an expert on it, but, um. Uh, yeah, that's really good. That, no, that, that, that's helpful, Greg. I mean, I think we're going to have to kick the tires on that conversation right now. My my wheels are turning because education is something that I'm passionate about. Um, and uh, that's good. So uh, speaking of which, we should probably get into some education or at least some news. Uh, so as you guys are aware, we started this in 2024. We're doing these episodes. We call them a three plus one. That's three news stories plus one recommendation. And uh, there's been a lot going on the last couple months. Um, so uh, both uh, all three of us have chosen a new story and then we'll have a recommendation as well. 
Um, and we're just going to be uh, getting into certain articles, certain stories that have been coming down the pipe the last month or two, and uh, and seeing what seeing what what does it mean to think in a Christian manner when it comes to these things with very significant development, justice, um, vulnerable care um, implications. So, uh, Greg, Phil, you guys ready to jump into our first one? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, I can go first. Um, so there, one of the one of the stories that we have touched on over the last couple of years um, has been, uh, and this obviously for sure goes back to our time uh, at Think Orphan. Um, we have looked quite a bit at uh, Central America and and what had been happening in the Northern Triangle has had significant geopolitical. Um, ramifications and implications here in the U.S. Because, I mean, we're coming up on another election cycle this year, and it seems like immigration um, at the southern border continues to be a major topic. And that will be now three straight election cycles where that is uh, significant, right? Um, We had four years of Trump and his policies, which I think were not great. Um, And now we have uh, President Biden and He's not doing great either. <laughs> so I think we, we recognize uh, the, the, the challenges for what it means for us. But what we recognize is that um, people that are, that are immigrating and passing through uh, Mexico and coming to our southern border are coming for, there's a lot of push factors, right? Um, previously, we saw a lot of people coming up from the Northern Triangle. So that being Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. Currently, we're seeing a lot more Venezuelans. Um, as you as you guys are probably aware, and we're actually seeing less Salvadorans. Okay, so that that should be a good thing. That means people don't want to leave their home in the same way that they were because of the rap, uh, rampant uh, gang violence and so forth, just happening within that context. So um, I'm kind of uh, building a little bit on a conversation we had in last month's three plus one with uh, Jeremy when he brought up elections. Okay, so. There was just a 2024 big election uh, year throughout the world, not only here in the U.S., but in other countries as well. And El Salvador just had theirs. And what is happening there is unique and has other implications for Latin America. So um, they have just reelected Nayib Bukele, um, who is... He's he's an interesting guy. He like got their country into like Bitcoin and like the, and like he's just kind of like this very kind of interesting guy. Um, when mm-hmm. he first came into office, there was um, there was an assumption that he had basically made deals with gangs because violence went down quite quite significantly. But then they had this big um, this big kind of a push in violence and uh, uh they had like their most murderous day under his um under his watch uh, on his watch as the president and um it was a uh, after that he kind of came through with some very kind of hard line um hard line uh policies around policing essentially so um he just won um, as of late Thursday, the Salvadoran election authorities website showed Bukele had earned 83% of the votes with 70% reporting. So landslide, and he is legitimately, he is legitimately very popular, um, within El Salvador. So this isn't like trumped up or whatever, like he, he legitimately won in a landslide. Um, 
but uh, I'm just polling here. So uh, in the show notes, you guys will find this link to foreignpolicy.com. I've been following this story on a couple different uh, news outlets, but um, he has these uh, high approval ratings, but I'm reading from foreignpolicy.com right now. During his first term, Bukele's government carried out sweeping arrests of anyone suspected of being involved in gang activity. More than 1% of El Salvador's population is currently incarcerated in a system advocates say often sweeps up innocence and denies many people the right to a fair trial. Yet the police, the policy's impacts are tangible. In just three years, El Salvador's homicide, homicide rate dropped from being one of Latin America's highest to one of its lowest. Okay, so we kind of have this tension here between civil liberties and, uh, and peace, right? So we're seeing crime, we're seeing homicide go down. And at the same time, we're seeing innocent people incarcerated. Right. Um, and I think for us, especially considering that this is in the Western Hemisphere, we the U.S. foreign policy has largely said, you know, the Western Hemisphere, that's our area of influence more than anywhere else. And that brings up the D word democracy, um, because uh, among the things that uh, despite the uh, in addition to, I should say, the fact that he has been sweeping up innocent people. Um, in these raids and that they have such a high incarceration rate all of a sudden. Um, at the same time, they amended the constitution so that he could actually serve for another election. So all of these kind of things. So it's kind of a critique. Is this actually democracy? Well, they're actually kind of, uh, they're kind of unabashed. Um, the vice president, Felix Aloa said to these people who say democracy is being dismantled. My answer is Yes. We are not dismantling it. We are eliminating it. We are replacing it with something new. So freedom versus security. They have less freedom. They have more security. This is like my government, you know, in like senior year of high school. These were like the two things that I remember learning about. You can have freedom or you can have security. And it kind of seems like we're having more dictatorship, less democracy, but more security in El Salvador. Now, the U.S. is looking at this and they're like, well, you know what, you know, we want to see democracy there, but we actually like the fact that Salvadorans are not fleeing and coming to our borders like they had been in recent years. So these that's the story. That's the that's the big thing. You know, for us as Christians, I certainly think that freedom and security um, is kind of interesting. Like we have security in Christ, you know, in it you know, who Christ sets free is free indeed. So it's like, these are, these are very Christian terms that we're using as well. But I'm also kind of like thinking in terms of, you know, this story, you know, what should we be promoting? There's less freedom in the country, but there's more security. There's more safety. I don't know. What do you guys, what do you guys kind of think? I mean, uh, we've seen this in other countries where you kind of have that benevolent dictator kind of come through and kind of do stuff, but there's always a downside to that. I mean, I don't know. What kind of sticks out to you guys as you guys hear this story uh, around El Salvador and, and what's going on there? You know, I was just reflecting on what it means to be a follower of Christ and to um, be moved or motivated to vote uh, politically, you know, one way or another based off of fear and security. Um uh, I'm growing in my in my Anabaptist faith. Uh, we we attend the Mennonite church, and 
as we think about uh, what it means to to live in the kingdom of God that's present now, um, I've just been reflecting a lot on on what it means to to um, support a political party because of their promise of of security. Uh, you know, I've lived in in a number of different places around the world, including Venezuela, Brandon, as you know, and um, have have seen different um, pushes for security. Uh, oftentimes, by the way, uh, the very kids that we're seeking to protect um, in our ministries and in our work for, in our case, with working with street living children, they were the the recipients of the law and order policies that mm. that we saw when we were in Venezuela, for example, right? Yeah. Um, under a, a strong man, Hugo Chavez, um, who for all intents and purposes, appeared to be benevolent initially in his support of the poor. Um, I'll let history judge him um, on whether or not he was the best friend of the poor in Venezuela. But connecting the dots to um, human flourishing, uh, security, uh, I've just just been reflecting a lot on these issues. And I just wonder, ultimately, is is our security as followers of Christ really coming from a political party. Yeah. Um, man, if that's the case, uh, we have it all wrong, you know, because right. uh, it just seems like Jesus was constantly pointing to uh, his protection being found in the father. Um, uh, so, so yeah, I'm just reflecting absolutely. a lot on that. I don't uh, have a whole lot of answers for you at this point, Brandon. But, no, well, that's good. Uh, I mean, you, you bring up the right things and these are the things that we should be thinking through because we don't just, hear a big story like this and then only think about the political or the social implications. We think about the metaphysical implications, right? And where are we finding our security? Um, And on the kind of political front, you know, one of the things you mentioned, you know, even looking at the example of Venezuela, and we can look at examples of other places where that kind of democracy has been undermined. um, And Look, I, I've talked with people that live in the global south and they say, we're not ready for democracy. And they're just kind of like very, and it's just like, okay, maybe you're not. I don't know. You might know better than me. But um, but we also kind of see like, well, are we just punting this down the road? You know, just saying like, well, it's okay for now and homicide's down. And yeah, we got a bunch of people incarcerated. But um, like, at what point does it become too much, you know, too much strong arming by yeah. the government to then say, well, okay, hold on, we got to rescind some of this back. And now it's already a foregone conclusion. And you could have another Venezuela, you could have another one of these kind of strong arm governments. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's part of the problem is we talk about is, is the problem with all governments are people are involved, human beings are involved, right? So you could have the perfect government in theory, um, if we could even agree on one. And then it'd be messed up as soon as a person's involved with it. Um, that's just the reality. So when you talk about security, there's more security. Yeah. For who, for who the government chooses, there's more security for, but if you're in part of that group, that's not getting due process and you're part of that group that's just getting put away. Well, that's not great security for you. That's that, that's no freedom and no security. Right. So, you know, when we look down the, the history, right. You look at the Nazi regime. It's like, wasn't that what they promised? Right. You're going to have more security. We're going to be the people that we're going to do this. So then that leads to this, 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 this. And then you have internment camps and you have concentration camps and you have people being killed in gas chambers. 
because mm-hmm. we're going to keep you safer from these people who we have decided are not good. Right. So at some point there is now there's a whole different conversation about borders and all this other thing. That's a whole different nuanced conversation. Right. All these have nuances. Right. But the, the, the idea of yeah. promises by an elected official that we are going to be safer, we're going to be better, we're going to be this, we're going to be that. It's like, well, that's under your worldview on what you believe is safe and secure. And to your point, you know, Greg, as far as, you know, and both of you, I think said this, but this idea of we are not, you know, we are citizens of a different kingdom. And if we truly believe that, then none of these promises are going to be something that we're going to put our faith into. Now, we still have, you know, we still are in this world, right? So we still are voting. We still are responsible for that. There still are things we need to do in here to, you know, be making all things new with with Jesus and what that looks like. But to be so, you know, so much putting faith into that, I think, is where the difference mm-hmm. comes in. Yeah. And to say that is, you know, and security is just an illusion right here on earth. Like it, it's we're not. Um, yeah. It's just you know, the comfort and security illusion that we have. And it's like, well, you know, no job is secure. You know, I mean, oh, it's a secure job. No, it's not. I mean, COVID could happen. Uh, the depression could happen. Things can happen, right? That are just like, whoa, okay, maybe it's not as secure, you know, AI, all this other thing. So anyway, that that's something that, um, you know, there's a whole yeah. different conversation about elections when somebody wins it with 80% of the vote. That's always a, you know, flag in, in my book, you know, just as far as, and maybe he's very extremely popular, but that's still a really big number. Um, uh, and so I don't know if you said trumped up, uh, on purpose or if that's just the word that comes out. It is kind of funny that that <laughs> it is, it is funny that that is used for so many things that are like, was that a double entendre there? And I, you know, I don't, it became I don't a double entendre, instance, but yeah, it became one <laughs> because it's not great a term. Chuckle. Like that wasn't like and, a term uh, post 2016. Yeah. No, like <laughs> it was, a, it was a term that was the term and the right term for that. But I, you know, it is kind of funny that you had just mentioned something else. So um, well, anyway. you guys are really, you guys are really dabbling with politics here in your new reformatted podcast, aren't you? I love it. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Because we're all about justice. I mean, we literally put it in the yeah, name right, and justice right. is about advocacy. That's about policy reform. Yeah. That's about, you know, what policies are going to make it helpful for people to flourish. So we can't, we can't. And that's one of the things, one of the books that I read, um, it may have been, was it in your class or Dr. Fancher's class? Um, where basically there was almost this critique of, of Myers and Fickert, uh, because it was just relief, rehabilitation, development, and there was no mention of advocacy and and justice and policy reform and these kind of things that are actually very, uh, they will either mitigate or be conducive towards right. people to progress and develop and to flourish. And and I think that that was well yeah. stated. So, so yes, yeah, I know a little more political. Too, Greg. Greg, as far as like, does the government even have a incentive? The government really typically, it was in Poverty, Poverty Inc., right? The governments right. have very little incentive to get poor people out of poverty. Yeah. Like yeah. their power goes away when the people actually can can decide on their own, can do things on their own. If you right. really are getting 80%, then chances are you're getting, you are getting a lot of the poor people because you're giving them stuff, which is not empowering, which is not, so, you know, yeah. you know, in maybe in the right context, but not the way they're doing it. Right. Wow. And yeah. so that's, that's not empowering. It's the opposite. It's actually keeping them in that poverty. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's, so, it's, it's something to keep yeah. thinking through. Um, and as we look at Central anyway, America, we move on. 
Yeah, as we as we look at Central America, as we look at uh, broader Latin America, what we can say, you know, Phil, you guys have done work in Honduras. Um, the president, President Castro, uh, has granted expanded police uh, powers to detain crime suspects. Uh, the Ecuadorian president, Noboa, has taken an aggressive approach to fighting gangs. So it is actually spreading to other Latin American countries. This approach to cutting down on violence. What were you going to say, Greg? Last thing, and then we'll switch. Yeah, last thing. Um, one is a recommendation. Read Gary Haugen's book, uh, The Locus Effect. I love it that It deals book. with violence. It deals with violence, the need for security. So we're not saying that there's not a need for security. Right. Exactly. One last thing, too, that I, I want to point out, even from my perspective, like who am I to speak into some of these issues when I come from such a place of privilege and protection and security, right? So I recognize that sure. folks in these gang um communities in El Salvador and other places are deeply, deeply affected by the violence, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. I'm empathetic to, to their concerns and their needs for, for more law. Um, 100%. And yeah. All right. Yeah. It's no, that both and approach that we need. We need that both and, and yeah, I think. Well, we need to find the right game. balance. We need to take care of them. Yeah. But you don't yeah. just start arresting people without, you know, proof. Yeah. So, well, the, um, yeah. The pendulum is always going to swing back and forth. Yeah. Have you ever been doing nonprofit work and wish you had a helping hand? Or that there was a skill set your team was lacking to fully execute a project? Do you ever just wish to go deeper in community with others of the same mind and heart? At Canopy International, we are firm believers that you aren't meant to do the work of justice alone. That just isn't the way that God designed us to operate. That's why I'm excited to introduce you to our team of coaches and professionals that are available to come alongside you as God brings you deeper into the work of global justice. Our team is made up of seasoned professionals working in both large and small organizations with specific skill sets that are ready to help you and your team. If you're looking for support, coaching, or fractional work, head over to canopy.international to meet our team of professionals and then hit the contact button to drop us a line and get connected to the support and the community that you need. All right, next story. Uh, Greg, I think you got this one. You got you got a blog here from World Relief and good conversation. What do you got? Yeah, totally. Great, great blog from um, World Relief. You can take a look at it probably in the, the show notes. Um, it's on three trends we're seeing in global development in 2024, published February 6th, 2024, just recently here. One of the trends that I wanted to talk about is um, what they, what is what they, uh, you know, raise as localization. Um, and I'll just read a quick uh, piece of this of this um, trend here. They say increased awareness that local is best is one of the trends that they're highlighting here. And they say as much as we see the global ramifications for crises happening in individual countries, there is a growing appreciation that only locally designed and owned solutions will last. Uh, gone are the days of sitting in offices far away, coming up with program designs and then swooping in to implement them for other people, right? Today, individuals and communities are echoing nothing about us without us, without our voice, signaling the need for meaningful participation in designing their own solutions. So, um, and then they go on to talk about their own work and how they're localizing their efforts. You know, 2020, uh, we started seeing calls in light of the pandemic for localization, folks, foreigners, expats were moving out of country um, and quickly, quickly uh, training and handing over the reins to local experts, right? 
Now, there's been organizations talking about the importance of local, uh, that local is best for many years now, even going back to um, Robert Chambers' work uh, in participatory learning and action methodology and so forth. You know, people have been talking about the need for local um, ownership. So in some ways, that's not new. But really what we saw in 2020 was this push by USAID, other organizations to really focus on creating um, um, opportunities for local experts um, to develop and to design uh, programs that will meet the needs of local of local needs as well. So that that this idea is really capturing our attention right now. And and I wanted to bring this up specifically with you guys because I wanted to, to ask the question, you know. Um, does this rule out outside interventions? Does this um, mean that somehow expats are no longer welcomed in the world of international development work and, and ministry? I'd love to get your thoughts on it um, as we approach this. Uh, localization for different communities is, is understood in different ways. Like USAID is going to be approaching it in a different way than World Relief. Obviously, World Relief has folks that are um, expats involved, uh, but they're reducing their numbers as well. So I'm always left with this question, you know, my, 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 my job really in academics is to prepare um, workers like yourself, Brandon, and many others that work internationally in international development work. So I'm oftentimes faced with that question myself. And fortunately, we have lots of folks from around the world that are in the program as well. But um, yeah, just throwing yeah. that out there to you guys. What role do uh, do expats have in the area of international development? I think that's a really critical question and something that we should constantly be wrestling with, to be honest. I mean, yeah, so the localization thing, it is interesting looking at it from a USAID perspective. Samantha Power, who runs USAID now, yeah. she is big towards localization. And in some regards, it's kind of like, all right, and, and we talked about this uh, in, in our last, uh, in our January episode, um, you know, looking at the big um, medical care, healthcare, you know, push uh, project that USAID had and just how much it was wasteful and, and didn't work. And, um, and I don't say that to like, just be a critique. To me, what it says is, is that amount of money and influence trying to be kind of like, is that, is that the big square peg that we're trying to fit into a small hole of localization and saying like, well, we're just going to pump a ton of money. And I think it's also important right. uh, specifically on the USAID front to recognize that USAID is, is also, <laughs> it's, it's a part of a broader government policy approach to foreign policy of the, mm -hmm. of the United States. It's not just this benevolent, like, we're just going to give money to people because we're just charitable, you know? That's not how they work. Yeah. The UK works a little bit more like that, but not USAID. It's always very much linked to foreign policy, and maybe for good reason, because sometimes when you have money going out to USAID, that's less coming from, uh, you know, the Department of Defense or, you know, some sort of military intervention. So maybe that's good in that regard. But... Yeah we can't just kind of think of USAID as like this, like, oh, well, you know, they're just benevolent, charitable organization. Control, they're actually, yeah. they're actually doing foreign policy is what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And it, and those things have implications for the U S now in terms of like the ex expat question, that's a really critical one. Um, the way that I tend to think about it, and maybe this is flawed, I'm sure it is in some regards. I look at, we do live in a globalized world. 
and um, we have multinational corporations that have no problem employing you know dirt cheap labor in Southeast Asia and then selling those t-shirts or whatever here. It's like if these multinational corporations are creating these long chains that are sometimes exploitative in nature, are we then going to say, oh, but charitable organizations, we should just completely, you know, not also create some sort of chain, you know what I mean, to actually try to develop some some social good. So maybe that's too simplistic, but I do think we can't get away from the globalized nature of how the world works digitally, commercially, you know, politically. And I do think it is, I do think there's a place to kind of figure out. And that's part of the reason why we even have, you know, this show is to have that. And we need to do a better job even with this show, especially, and this will just be me being candid with our audience, as we have been switching more into stuff that isn't only orphan care. You look, our next episode of, of Think Orphan, we're talking orphan care again, or of, of Think Global Do Justice, we're talking orphan care again. So we're still doing that. But as we switched from talking about global care to talking more and more about global development as well, it's actually harder to get a diverse range of people. <laughs> I, I mean, just to, just to be totally honest. And there's reasons for that as well. So I do think that we have to be uh, mindful and it's incumbent on us to kind of question these things. But I do, I do think that there is a role. I don't know. What do you think, Phil? I mean, I'll say it again. It's both and, right? I mean... I think the question to ask is, are we working with or are we working for? And that's a huge question that we have to continually be asking ourselves when we are doing work. Because to your point, I mean, as a lawyer, I had expert witnesses who were not from the United States. So do we say to them, no, we're only doing localized experts here because we're in the U.S.? But they're the expert. So sometimes the expert, but if you're going in and you're just telling them what to do, that's different mm-hmm. than going in and, and walking alongside mm-hmm. and saying, hey, you know what? We do have some expertise that can help you right now. We're not coming in and saying we know everything and know exactly what it's going to look like here because there is contextualization that only you know. Only you have lived here and grown up here and you know the things that might not work, but I can tell you what's worked over here. I can. It's why we did In Pursuit of Orphan Excellence the way we did. It wasn't this is the way to do it. This is... This has worked in these areas. We think these are good things, but it's a conversation. It's a continual conversation. And when you're in relationship with people, you have that conversation. You have that respect. You have that mutual admiration and respect. And you can go in. I love that, that quote from Toxic Charity where if you have that mutual admiration and respect, everything's different, right? It, it changes, but that only happens in relationship. So we tend to want to come in, drop the aid, you know, whether it's USAID, whether it's, you know, the governments, whether it's whatever we want to say, we're going to come in, drop the money. Boom. We got it. We're good. We're going to come in with the expertise, build the well. Boom. We're out. We're good. We got this. Boom. We now you got it solved. So now you guys are going to be, that's where the problem lies. Mm-hmm. When we say, no, we're going to invest our lives in you and you in us, then that changes things. So that's yeah. what we talked about with whether it's a think orphan conversation, whether it's wh- whatever the global development we're talking about, we're part of the globe, right? The U.S., it's quite funny. People are like, oh, you do global work. Do you do stuff in the U.S. too? I'm like, yeah, last time I checked, U.S. is part of the globe, you know, <laughs> but when we see it that way, we're not this place that's like, oh, we are superior and the high excellency of the United States that we can come into everyone around the world 
when we see ourselves as part of the globe, we see it as, hey, who are the experts that can help with these things? And expert's yeah. a funny word too. Don't get me wrong. I'm people call me an expert. I'm like, oh, maybe. I don't know. I see myself more as a generalist. Brandon's like, no, you're not an expert. You're an idiot. But um, <laughs> I'm just messing with but, you. But uh, no, I know. Um, but that. But it is a funny term, right? Yes, you might be in this. You might be an expert in. You know, I might be an expert in Folsom, California, on certain issues that go on in different places because I know more than the guy next to me. But if you put me ne up next to Delia Pop on the global, you know, issues, I'm I'm this little peon who's just going to learn, right? And so, but and that's the reality. So anyway, I just I look yeah. at it and I get so frustrated with people when they say we got to just cut out. You know, we got to just go local, only local. That's where the answer is. The local church going to solve all the problems. It's like. I'm not saying the local church is not an important part of the solution, but if we just say that local church in, you know, Nairobi is going to solve all the issues for Nairobi, I know the church here in Folsom is not solving all the problems in Folsom. So we are naive, ignorant, other words, if we think that we're just going to solve all these world's problems by going all local. It's not going to work. We need to have people who are actually investing their lives. And it may mean moving there. It may mean, but you may be, you know, Greg, you may feel called to go move to Nairobi. Am I going to say that, no, you can't do that because that's not the right way to do ministry? I'm not going to question that call. If God's calling you to go to Nairobi, then go to Nairobi and see what God's calling you to do. But don't go to Nairobi with Greg's plans, going to do yeah. Greg's work. Go to Nairobi going, Lord, what are you doing with me here? I'm open. Mm -hmm. I just want to meet people and get to know as I would if I moved down the street to Seattle. It's yeah. the same conversation, right? So that that's where I, I, get, I get excited about this stuff because I think people want to put it in the box and say, no, this is the right way. This is the, if we had the answer, we would have had it figured out a long time ago. You know, I, I really appreciate both those perspectives. You, you recognize it's kind of a little bit of both and right. But obviously what we don't want to see is the, the, the God complexes that yep. come up with some of our international development work. Mm -hmm. So another recommendation, look at Jayakumar Christian's book, the God of the empty handed, right? He gets into these God complexes and the dependency that is created in these scenarios. So obviously we want to move away from um, any efforts that are for, that are overpowering local efforts. Uh, we're really working with, and I just wanted, I don't know how much time we have left, Brandon, but I want to point out one thing here um, that I came across recently. It's an app. Um, and Scott Todd of, uh, I believe of One Child, president at One Child, uh, and others are, are co-founders. And the app is called Bridgely. Bridgely. Uh, Bridgely is really this uh, use of technology to bridge together with a, a, an em emphasis on intercultural competency and intercultural relationships, but it's bridging together both those, um, how do I put this, um, who are identifying needs in their own communities with, with those who have uh, the affluence or the the generosity to to provide um, funding to help. So it's it's using technology to actually highlight the the important aspects of localization. Um, I, you know, I haven't looked into it enough. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to look at it, but it's fascinating opportunity. I think as we think about localization. No, that's really good, and and I'm going to have that in the show notes. I did look at that site after you sent me the link, Greg, and um, I think that that is. I mean, even when we talk about big money going into these countries, 
they are hiring subcontractors to actually carry out a lot of that work. So what what I hear you saying, and you know, from looking just at least at a cursory level at this app that you sent over, it's it's kind of uh, loosening up that bottleneck a little bit because there are local organizations that have a heart, right. but it is difficult for people in the U.S., especially when we do get you know hit up for funds periodically or regularly, mm-hmm. to be able to say, is this a vetted organization? What you're describing right. is great, but. I don't, but I have no way to make sure because there's also hucksters out there and so forth. So, mm-hmm. um, that, that is a good, that is a good approach. So, uh, wow. Okay. Localization, huge topic, one that we will undoubtedly dive into, uh, more throughout the year. Um, all right, we got, uh, one more, uh, news piece, uh, and, uh, we're going to come to Phil. Phil, I think you got a big one and one that maybe people have uh, been following yeah. along with, but what do you got, man? Yeah, it's a little one. It's a little one to finish us off with. Um, and uh, no, this is it's not a little one. This is a massive, massive issue um, going on that, that is indicative of other issues that we've had recently in the world and also um, in hitting our history. Uh, it's just, I think, much more um, uh, publicized because it is Israel-Palestine, right? Which is such a massive, I mean, and biblically too, right? So this isn't just some little thing that uh that's going on in the in the middle east but but this this is specifically on the the hamas and the um the the title of the article so you'll see the the slant in the title of the article but it's hamas sacrifices gaza children and unrwa complicit in crime so it's it's a it's a big article that we're we're not going to get into all the details i just want to focus on um, the first paragraph talks about the israel hamas war has revealed many instances of hamas's misconduct toward gaza's children on several occasions during its ground operations in Gaza, the Israel Defense Forces uh, has found Hamas, Hamas's military equipment hidden in schools, entrances, hatches to Hamas tunnels, under baby cribs, and rocket launchers placed in areas that children frequent. Various reports also have been published addressing the anti-Israel and anti-Semitic indoctrination and hate taught to Gaza's children in their education system. Now, obviously, there's a whole other conversation of Israel and, and what's going on there and stuff, but... but talking to friends who have actually been over to Israel and, and, you know, Gaza and, and seeing what's going on and, and have, have confirmed a lot of this stuff. They've actually seen the tunnels, they've seen the hospital stuff, they've seen the schools. And, you know, as far as the indoctrination, we know indoctrination goes on. So indoctrination, I mean, happens in a lot of different situations, a lot of different things. Sometimes it's mild, sometimes it's, it's severe. You know, we talked earlier about you know, Nazi Germany, that's an easy one, right? Obviously with the Hitler youth and things like that. But this, this article goes into talking about, um, one of the quotes, uh, late in the article talks about, you see also the Taliban, Al Qaeda and ISIS, they are prepared the younger generation for jihad. And, and we know with child soldiers, we know with different things that go on around the world that these, the children are so, um, such a, uh, in easily influenced, um, and easily radicalized um, toward whatever it is, right? And so some people will say the the Christian, you know, the church does that, and you you just brain brainwash your kids and blah blah blah, and you know, and they're they're it's it's a similar exercise, right? We do we help our kids understand scripture, we help our kids understand different things, but when they're telling these kids to hate 
another people group and to do do things in in this regard and they're literally neighbors things like that so when we start taking a step back and going you know i don't know exactly what's being taught i can only go based on what i've heard secondhand from different people whether it's from a, a news article news sources obviously this is media line media line it is a an independent news source news source that has been you know dubbed modelly conservative according to some other body that is dubbing them that so that's based on their world so we can't just go in and go oh this isn't true because xyz there's a lot of things that we look at and i look at it in this issue and we obviously don't have the time to go into the the nuances and the just so much history so much going on decades and decades and guessing centuries of of different you know fighting and relationships and different things going on but what i can say is they are doing things we know and it has been confirmed in multiple sources that they are doing things there that are harming children that are putting sure. children's harm's way and that is something that you know and I'm not going to say, are other people doing it or other people are doing it too? That doesn't make it right. So to do that and to say, we're going to do these things that are going to put more kids into issues that or, or first of all, indoctrinate the kids. Yes, there's that issues. But then there's the other issue of, are we putting these, um, these kids and these civilians into, into harm's way because it's, it's our military strategy. Those are some major, major issues that I just, sure. you know, I got major um questions about so anyway what do you guys think about yeah well we can't we cannot um separate the violence going on in gaza right now and as well as the attacks against israel in october we cannot have that conversation without recognizing that both israeli and palestinian children have been killed yeah absolutely Um, yeah that's why i said this is yeah i'm just i'm just agreeing with that because it is uh it is atrocious to me the most interesting thing and what's really been going around and you know you said you were reading from uh from a source that's maybe a little more conservative i mean i was listening to the daily which is by the new york times and they were talking about this piece with unra the daily is is or you know that's considered left-leaning so it's like so you know you can see evidence of this on both sides in terms of the different sources the 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 piece that is the most interesting to me and has had the most implications you know this will release next month or sorry next week so this story can develop even between this time of recording uh and the and the time of release but the the unra so that's unr WA. This is the United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestine for Palestine refugees in the Near East. So, decades ago, there was a large displacement, and this UN agency, which again the UN is to be neutral and the UN is to be nonpartisan, um, they are a relief and develop. They are a relief humanitarian, you know, humanitarian relief organization, mm-hmm. and the fact that there appears to be you know, evidence that some of at least a dozen of people that work for UNRWA were actually a part of the attacks in, in yeah. back in October yeah. is very troubling. And yeah. there mm-hmm. were the people that were named among them were actually let go. So in some regards, it seemed like, oh, maybe these weren't just, you know, made up charges, <laughs> you know, maybe this and, yeah. and what has been the fallout? a lot of funding has been cut to that UN humanitarian agency that maybe most people within that agency 
at, we're we're truly nonpartisan. Now it's 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 difficult with Hamas because it is military. They clearly carried out terrorism, but it's also a political entity within and the governing entity within Gaza. So it it, it the, the, the the all of these things are so intertwined and intermingled, and it's really hard. But one thing we do know is that any UN agency is to be nonpartisan. Yeah. Right. And and to and to uh, uh, potentially or appears to be evidence uh, that there were people that were involved in that attack, which was, you know, just unspeakable. That's that's a big that's a big problem. Yeah. You said something there that I think we need to get deeper into. It's this idea of they need to be nonpartisan, but that's like saying right, and neutral. Actually, is neutrality right. is the word I should have used. They're supposed but to be neutral. what is neutral? Like, you know, and it's like neutral. Yes, I get what you're saying, but but neutral based on somebody's definition of that is neutral in this instance, and they they may be saying, well, we are, you know, but you know, you're I, not. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I mean, so that that's a that's a whole conversation in itself that we don't have time to get into, or at least people go. they're in. What yeah. were you going to say? No, I, I get you. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say that you know there are some international laws that that come to bear um, on conflict, uh, even the you know the. CRC, the child's, um, why am I? Come on, Greg. Oh, Convention, okay. Convention on the Rights of the, right to the Child. Man, I just spaced it. <laughs> Christian Reform I thought you were talking about. I don't know what was going Convention on there. Convention on the Rights of the Child. Edit all that out, Brandon, to make me look smarter. But, um, <laughs> but you know, there's treaties and conventions that are in place that create opportunities for neutrality in these contexts, right? There's child protective systems that that have been agreed upon by, by the international bodies by the world um, that that obviously some groups have have not enforced. So I, I think there actually is opportunities, Phil and, and Brandon, to have neutral stances. And part of that neutrality is is the endorsement, um, ratification, and then implementation of of these international treaties that that we have. They're not perfect, but they're a way forward in in midst of conflict. And yeah, yeah. man, this is just such a devastating, nuanced um, situation that you're that you brought up phil and it's hard for me not to think about what has happened um you know with the idf and and their um their well the loss of of innocent lives um in in gaza as well mm-hmm. right but very complex issue that certainly we're not going to have an answer for today but it's nuanced complex um we recognize that there are international systems in play uh, in place that we can uh, certainly begin to endorse and yeah. ensure that that they work. And I will say one thing: back in the day, um, uh, probably eight, nine, maybe even ten years ago, there was a great Q talk on. Um, it was a, a Palestinian and a and an Israeli. I mean, in a, in a yeah, and they were they they have a their ministry is actually touring the world talking about peace and how they actually mm. have come to know each other because one i believe her husband was killed um her husband was killed by the opposite and then his kid was killed i think in the in the fighting and they just were came together through that morning and are now saying hey like this is not okay you know and what yeah. does that look like and so you know and it's but that to when they're talking about it 
you really start seeing the nuances of it and you start seeing the the history of it and you start seeing more because we're we're so distant i mean in the u.s we're like oh yeah we we've read about it we've the we're still so distant from the the just ingrained going back to the indoctrination when you that's what you believe you are believing that and it's not even like you know evil indoctrination per se it's just that's what they know and that's what they teach that's what they know and that's what they teach that's what we know and that's what we teach and and that's that's a huge a huge issue so anyway yeah um, just for clarification, when you talk about Q, you're not talking about QAnon, right? <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. Now I got to say that. It's like saying trumped up charges. No, uh, <laughs> it's now Think Media, um, but it yeah. was a Q gathering. Yeah. Thank you for that uh, that uh, clarification. <laughs> it was Gabe Lyons and Q, Q Media, yep. Yep. Q Ideas. Um, that is the website. Yeah. Just to, to distance from that one too. So yeah, there you go. All right. Well, see, we're in new times and, uh, we, uh, have to change our words sometimes, but I would encourage people to continue to follow along with all of these stories, what's going on in El Salvador and broader Central America, the localization effort in, uh, global development spaces. And of course, all the different components and nuances of what is happening in Gaza and Israel right now. Uh, we do have time, uh, for just one quick recommendation. And, uh, I'm, I'm on point today and, you know, Phil, you kind of, you kind of brought us down a little bit with that last story, but, uh, (laughs) that is the nature of it, I guess. I'm going to have to, I'm going to bring one that's a little more light. Now, when I say light, I'm not saying like, it's actually a really thick book, but my wife bought me, um, Bono's book, Surrender. And it is, it's a good read. It's a good read. Now, the funny thing is I was, uh, so that's the recommendation, Surrender by Bono. Uh, It came out last year. Um, I like to read biographies. Now my book, I have to tell people don't buy me any more books because I'm like way behind on the books that I already own and need to read still. But uh, this book is over 500 pages and you get all the good rock history and stuff. I like you too. I'm a kid of the nineties, not the eighties. So I'm not like, you know, like when I read Dave Grohl's or like flea, like those are the ones where it's like, okay, this was my music, Foo Fighters, Red Hot Chili Peppers. But anyways, the music piece is great. Bono's great. He's also a Christian, um, you know, so he incorporates faith and like scripture and stuff. And he's, he's, you know, there's also cursing in it and all that. So it's, you know, he's a rough around the edges Christian a little bit, but he's very sincere and very genuine as it pertains to this conversation. A lot of the stuff that we talk about, we've talked about PEPFAR on here. Um, we've talked about, you know, debt cancellation. Um, a lot of those kind of big, um, uh, like kind of policy changes in foreign policy, you know, came as a result of advocacy, including from people like Bono. Now he's, he can be a little polarizing in that space. You know, you mentioned Poverty Inc. He's actually kind of called out a little bit in that documentary. So it's not like, oh, this is all just fine, but it is an interesting look in terms of, of his role, not just as a rock star and, you know, celebrity, but uh, even how he plays within the global development space. So uh, that's the recommendation. So after you read all these gloomy articles that we're putting in the link, maybe maybe go pick up Bono's new book. It's it's pretty good. Uh, and nice. and uh, I just wrapped it up. So uh, so there you go. There's a recommendation. Thoughts on that? You guys, you two fans? I don't know. Well, so Brandon, Man, I just go back. Go Sorry, ahead. go ahead, Phil. No, go go ahead, Greg. I don't know. No, I just it just takes me back to 1987. Joshua 
um, tree tour, uh, right. Long Beach, man, just sitting there listening to you two play. And, you know, I, I think Bono over the years, uh, one thing I really appreciate about him is how much he has raised our social consciousness, um, regardless of, of his approach, methodology. You know, I, I know there's concerns around some of that, um, but he has raised a generation's social consciousness. You know, we've for the first oh, time, many of us in, in the 80s and 90s were thinking about some of these social uh, concerns um, through the music of U2. And certainly as we approached the year 2000, right, with the Jubilee millennial um, campaign that they ran. Um, and I just have deep appreciation for, for him. I'm going to read the book. Yeah, you should pick it up, Bill. Yeah, I uh, I am a U2 fan. I saw Elevation, Phillips Arena, Atlanta in uh, early 2000s. That's a great, uh, great show. Um, but I, I was just going to say, you know, as for recommendations, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And, uh, but it is a beautiful day <laughs> with or without you. So, um, oh, wow. That's that, all did I you, got. Did you just come up on the fly? Did um, you, wow. You so maybe. clever. Yeah, I think so. I, I didn't know that. <laughs> I like that. So. Anyway, um, that reminds me of a birthday card I did for a friend once. And we would listen to the Lionel Richie Back to Front album a lot, which is the greatest soothing music ever. If you're ever in traffic, I highly recommend it. Um, but uh, that is my recommendation for the day. That's lighter. Um, okay. But I, the entire birthday card was Lionel Richie references. It was pretty, it was pretty fantastic. So anyway, all that to say, um, folks, thanks for, uh, thanks for uh, being a part of us and sticking with us and putting up with us, I guess. Or me. Putting up with me maybe is the better way to put that. Everyone else is easier to put up with. But. Well, Phil, you're always a delight to work with, so so no apology necessary. Greg, thank you for jumping into this episode as well. Always good to see you and, and appreciate your Love work in, in, in higher ed and global development. And to our listeners, may Almighty God, who created us in his own image, grant us grace to fearlessly contend against evil and to make no peace with oppression, and that we may reverently use our freedom and employ it in the maintenance of justice in our communities and among the nations. To the glory of God's holy name, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We'll talk Amen. to you guys on the next episode. Thank you for joining us on Think Global, Do Justice. If you enjoyed the show, please do three things for us. One, rate and review us online. Two, share it with a friend. And three, join us at canopy.international so you can plug into a community of disciples seeking God's justice, mercy, and shalom throughout the world. We'll talk to you soon.